we are. Kill you in truth. Yes, Nate. Come on, Nate. That's right. Get the yeah. inner, inner, inner Harbaugh. Get the, oh, 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 like Ooh. and subscribe, and we appreciate you watching. I'll just start with you, Nate, because you got me in the inner Harbaugh. What happens now in the AFC West? Will the Chargers still be charging? I think so. I don't think. Yeah. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't what? know, man. Yeah. Come on. Okay, explain. All right, well, the Broncos are still Broncoing right now, aren't they? Or at least what the, the last six or seven years of the Broncos have been. Jim Harbaugh hasn't been in the NFL for, what, almost 10 years? Seven, seven or eight years now? Maybe, eight years, maybe, yeah. Maybe nine. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, rah rah, sis boom ba. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. I mean, that's that was his thing. That's what wore out um, the San Francisco 49ers. Who's got who's got it better than us? Nobody. Now he did make it to a Super Bowl. Played his brother uh, with the Ravens. Lost that game um, when the power went out. Isn't that that Super Bowl when the power it was? Went out? Yeah, I was, yeah, was. I was there. It was crazy. That was, bana- that was bananas. What'd you do when the power went out? Did you like go Freaked crazy? Out? No, we're, I'm in the upper upper section of the uh, Superdome. Nowhere really to go. Uh, all the media was, you know, we were high fiving God up there. Uh, you know, if and and it was freaky, scary. Like the immediate thoughts were was this was some sort of terrorist attack immediately, right. yeah. and and you just realized I'm fucked. I, I, I can't go anywhere. I am in the, uh, I am, I'm not in a good section to be, I can't get out of this building easily. Mm. No, I mean, it was, I mean, but then the lights started flickering on again and it felt like, well, okay. Um, I guess, but it, it was a kind of a helpless feeling. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was weird. I mean, we're at the Super Bowl and all the lights go out. That wouldn't freak you guys out. Just a pinch. Oh, I'd be freaked out. There's no doubt about it. I've gone to the Super Bowl as a fan, and the amount of security literally blocks and blocks away from the stadium with the barricades and the tanks and the armed guards and all that stuff, it really, you know, makes you cognizant of the possibility of of something like that happening. So to walk through that and then to be confronted with a power outage, I could see why, naturally, you'd be a bit freaked out. Now we found out later it's just that Beyonce has so much power. I mean, that was pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, I will tell you that week really quickly because it was Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, and his parents. You know, who's got it better than us? Nobody. They were all there too. And what I realized is that John Harbaugh is kind of a normal human being, and Jim Harbaugh is, is such a weirdo. I mean, because we're going to all the same type of press for everything the Ravens had, the Niners have, and vice versa. And while John, Har- John Harbaugh came off as, you know, like a regular human being, which I think he is, his brother Jim was such a wacko. But there's something about this dude that connects with other coaches and players, Nate. There is something. And FYI, and I just did hit you with an FYI, with mm. the Niners, he was 44-19-1. and and, mm. and not only was able to get a lot out of Alex Smith, but by far got the best out of Colin Kaepernick after turning a San Diego college program around and worked with Andrew Luck to turn Stanford around. I'm just a little surprised by your reaction, Nate. I got to gotta say, got to say. I mean, similar track record could be said of Sean Payton, right? So uh, I just don't look to, when I look at this division, it's the Chiefs division. And, and, and I don't see Jim Harbaugh posing a, a real threat to the Chiefs, not not anytime real soon. Um, J- Justin Herbert continues to be a question mark in my mind. 
And I, I saw that Dan Orlovsky thinks that uh, that uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to turn Justin Herbert into a top five quarterback. And people have been calling Justin Herbert a top five quarterback, but he hasn't been delivering on that front. Um, I don't know how Jim Harbaugh is going to deliver that. He's not an X's and O's guy, you know. I guess so we can just get him to kind of, you know, relax and see the game and all that. Um, I I will always doubt someone who's spent so much time away from the NFL and then comes mm. back and tries to mm. lead men in a new era like this. So um, okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if he had success. I just don't believe that he's going to come in like gangbusters and take control of the division. Nate I, or Chad? I, com- I completely disagree. Uh, Harbaugh upgrades the – Los Angeles Chargers considerably. He walks in the door as the winningest coach as far as career winning percentage in the AFC West. More than Andy Reid, more than Sean Payton, definitely more than Antonio Pierce. He's got damn near a 700 winning percentage, 6.95. So he comes in the door with the, like I said, the greatest winning percentage of all these coaches. Um, Yeah, he's turned around the programs that you've talked about there, DMAC. So to be the quarterback whisperer for Alex Smith, for Colin Kaepernick, and for Andrew Luck, to think he can't have similar success with Justin Herbert, I think is fool's gold. And speaking of fool's gold, I think sometimes coaches come in and there's a bit of fool's gold to them. There's no fool's gold to Harbaugh. The only Mm. issue with him is he wears out his welcome. Does he put in the work? Yes. Does he grind? Yes. Is he obsessed with the game? Yes. So there, there's no question about his football acumen. Is he a bit of an oddball? Yeah. Yes. So that's the that's the potential pitfall there is the oddball and wearing out the welcome, not putting in the work, not not knowing proper football, all those things. Culture, team building, the boxes are checked like like no one's, you know, like like, like a true professional that he is. All right. So one of the reasons he did get shoved out of San Francisco because he's a weirdo. And they had a GM, Trent Baalke, that he just, you know, didn't get along with. And and the Niners essentially chose Baalke over Harbaugh, much to their demise, until everybody got replaced eventually with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. They don't have that issue in Chargerland, Nate. He gets to be the boss, the real boss. Now, this is interesting. He gets all the power that he hasn't had before but he had all of his success, you can make an argument because somebody kept him in check. So maybe do you think things will fly off the rails when a lunatic takes the reins? You you run that risk, you know, Um, and I'm not saying Sean Payton's a lunatic, but you've given him similar control. You have. So, you know, you run the risk of a guy who's maybe out of touch taking it off the rails, like you said. Um, um, you know, Sean Payton wasn't out of this game, out of the NFL for eight years. He was out of it for one, but clearly was a bit rusty, admitted as much, couldn't even read the plays on the playbook because his eyes are going bad. That's something that you probably shouldn't admit to, number one, or even let happen, right? Um, and so there will be an adjustment for Jim Harbaugh. It's not like he's going to come in here seamlessly and do all the same shit he did in Michigan, and it's going to work with the Chargers. A Chargers who are an organization who's historically had – a lot of misfortune, a lot of injuries, a lot of um, just bad luck. Um, no matter what they've done, they just haven't been able to get over the hump. Now, you remember two years ago, they did make the playoffs. They went 10, 10 and 7. Uh, Brandon Staley, they went into, I think Cincinnati it was, in the opening round of the playoffs and almost beat them. Or was it Cincinnati? Or Anyway, oh, no, no, it was Jacksonville. They had a 28-7 lead at halftime, right? So so this is, hasn't been a bad, bad team. They've And they've always been, like, top five 
rosters in the offseason. Like, everyone thinks the Chargers are going to be good. And so in that regard, he's not taking over for a horrible team. He's taking over for a talented team who always has high expectations. I'm talking about the communication. I'm talking mm. about the connection with your team, okay? And a guy as quirky and weird as him, look look at the players who are, or the coaches who are connecting with, t- with players right now. Mm. Dan Campbell, right? Mm. Antonio Pierce, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, guys who are relatively younger and shoot it straight, can connect with them on a human level and inspire them to be part of something special. My question mark here is Jim Harbaugh's ability to do that. Everything that Chad just said about his football acumen, the skins on the wall, the things he's accomplished, clearly uh, that's great. But where are you now? It's going to be 2024, and these kids uh, don't even know him as an NFL coach. You know what's amazing to me, Chad, about Jim Harbaugh is despite how well-known he is and how iconic some of his, you know, khaki pants and the hat and the, you know, all that sort of stuff, he's not a look-at-me guy. He's not. He does not embrace, like, the media or attention or extra stuff. He doesn't do that, Chad. And he's still a huge celebrity, right? I mean, everybody knows who Jim Harbaugh is, but he's not the guy that wants the spotlight on himself. Again, I think this speaks to his focus on the football aspect of things. Um, and you guys rattled off some young coaches who are having some success. I think we all could say Mike McDaniels is a bit of a weirdo. Um, and that's true. okay. He's certainly quirky. Yeah, a, little, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think you can be quirky and still be successful. Now, uh, Harbaugh's on the other side of 50. And that makes it a little bit more difficult because you're just so far removed age-wise from the guys within the locker room. Uh, but if he's able to relate to 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds at Michigan, I believe he'll be able to relate to NFL players. Will he wear out his welcome at some point? I think there's no doubt. He's wore out his welcome everywhere he's been. But does that give the Chargers a three, four, five-year window? Probably. Uh, And so while Justin Herbert is still young, um, they have this opportunity with a guy who has been a quarterback whisperer in the past, a guy who's not in it for his own personal attention, who literally just loves football and wants to win football games. And as far as connecting to his team, those college kids at the University of Michigan, a lot of those kids came back. They came back for another year when they had an opportunity to go to the NFL because they thought they were going to be able to achieve something Mm. special. So if they did not like their coach, if they did not connect to their coach, I don't think they would have made that choice. So, uh, again, I I can't guarantee this is a slam dunk, but it certainly is lining up to be a very strong move for the Los Angeles Chargers. And let's keep it real. If it was really all about money for Jim Harbaugh, he could have just taken that job with the Broncos. They wanted him, and he could have taken the job, I think, with the Vikings two years ago. The job with the Broncos would have paid him $18, $20 million. He would have got that money last year, too. I like Jim Harbaugh. Nate, I hope you're right. Nate, I hope you are right. For the sake of the Broncos, I hope you're more right. But I just feel like he's going to turn things around pretty quickly. That being said, fellas, we had something in senior citizen news. It's a first. A wealthy elderly man moved from southern Florida to Philadelphia. Vic Fangio is now the new defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Nate, how's that going to go? Similar to how it, how it's gone with him for a while. You know, the bend, don't break defense. Um, that I mean, Chad's going to speak to this better than I can about, you know, what Vic's done and what it's worked what has worked and what hasn't. Um, I think as the defense coordinator here with the Broncos, there was always something lacking. You know, they always came out ready to play. They're always very well coached, but, but when it really mattered the most, they couldn't seem to put the clamps on the, the offense. And I think maybe that's why he was fired 
um, from Miami. I what I what I just uh, imagine the meeting when Mike McDaniel calls in Vic Fangio to tell him he's fired. <laughs> you know, what is Vic, Vic thinking when this little punk is telling him that he's letting him go? <laughs> and what does Mike even say? Those are the moments that make me laugh. But but I was actually surprised by it because I thought the Miami Dolphins played pretty well um, defensively. You know, not perfect, but something to build on. I mean, that clearly was like I thought. I thought not the move that he should have done. Well, I watched the Miami Dolphins in season on Hard Knocks on HBO, and there were not a lot of scenes with Mike McDaniel and Vic Fangio together. But those that were together, it really did feel like a grandchild talking to their elderly grandfather, Chad. <laughs> and it's just like, do you understand anything I'm saying? And it, it just didn't look right. There didn't seem to be any chemistry between the two of those guys. And it just was like, it was weird. So while to your point, Nate, yeah, I think football wise, it was, you know, relatively fine. Chad, it just didn't look like a match at all. In fact, I'm wondering how it even happens. It's uh, I've been in those San Francisco meeting rooms. And I did my internship out there. And so Mike McDaniels was a part of that. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan was a part of that. But Bobby Turner uh, was a part of that as well. Yeah. One of the o- older coaches in the NFL. So similar to Vic Fangio, uh, well-established, well-respected. Everywhere he's gone, his running backs have had success. Everywhere Vic Fangio has gone, that defense has had success. Uh, but Kyle would allow Bobby T to open the meeting. And Bobby T always had a joke. And Bobby T was relatable to everybody in the room. And everyone enjoyed his presence. He right. was a <laughs> core member of what they were doing. Versus I can't see Vic Fangio, who was definitely very curmudgeonly as the head coach here in Denver, being that kind of guy. So if Mike McDaniels is coming from that 49er experience and looking for Vic Fangio to be that kind of elder statesman who jokingly sets the tone and everyone loves and respects, I don't think that's who Vic Fangio is. So I'm not surprised that Mike McDaniels moved on. Now, nor am I surprised that Philadelphia jumped on him as quickly as they did. The Matt Patricia, Sean Desai situation up in Philadelphia was awful. Mm. Um, So they had to make a move there. I think this is a desperation move by Nick Sirianni where he gets the football person that he wants, but I'm not sure if that personality is going to play long-term. And this may be the beginning of the end for Nick Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. Relative relative to uh, Jim Harbaugh, I think the staff he assembles is going to is going to be really important when it comes to that because he can't be the guy who gives all the messages. He is a weirdo. So he's going to have to have to have some relatable relatable coaches, assistant coaches. Who's going to be his offense coordinator? Who's going to be his defense coordinator? Who's going to be his Bobby Turner that can, mm. you know, that can break the ice and who's going to be his younger coaches who can connect with some of these players. I think that's going to be very important um, and, and, and might amend the way I feel about this. I mean, I just, um, but uh, yeah, those assistants, the, the whole thing matters. Like Mike Shanahan told me a story about when he was coaching with the Niners and George Seifert was a head coach and they were in meetings and George Seifert dog cussed Mike Shanahan in front of the mm. whole team. Wow. Like, what do you like? dressed him down in the team meeting and then after the after the um meeting that later that day george Seifer pulled him aside he's like hey you know sorry sorry i did that i kind of had to do it um bill did the same thing to me and mike's like it's all right he, i had i had to let these guys know that anybody can get criticism mm-hmm. and and he's like how many of the guys came up to you and afterwards he's like every single one of them every single one of the guys came up to mike afterwards like fuck george man we got your back <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So there's these there's these mind games that happen with a, you know, a head coach who might not be the best communicator, mm-hmm. having his assistants have different relationships with players so he doesn't have to do all the talking and he can understand, you know, little stuff like that I think is important in the NFL especially. Okay, fellas, we don't talk about hockey much on this show, um, but there's a reason to with football. Nate McKinnon scores four goals last night, which was incredible. And then Jared Bednar says he has elite habits. So I asked, well, what are those elite habits? Rick Riley told me, ask a follow-up. What's the example? Great advice. And then Jared Bednar said, we're the slowest team in the NHL. They say, well, that can't be good to be slow. Mm-mm, not on the ice. But in preparations and post games, the Avalanche are the slowest team in the NHL. Why? Because of Nate. He's got a routine, and sometimes teams on the road like to Amscray about 20 minutes after a game. They got planes and buses waiting. Not the Avalanche, fellas. They will wait for Nate because he's got his routine. And Bednar joked, I just pull out my laptop and just get to work on something. And they joked later, the PR guy, Brendan McNicholas, whose job is to keep them moving when Bednar said, we're the slowest team in the league, Brendan said, by far, which got a huge laugh. But guys, do you see where I'm going here? When we hear what's going up at CU with what they're doing, and people question, what are we talking about, about championship habits? We are watching Nathan McKinnon, the best hockey player in the world, and Jokic, the best basketball player in the world. Fellas, Chad, with the same exact championship type of habits and they the team not only has should wait but learn from and that's what bednar wants i just want to bring that up because anybody who's questioning our criticism of what's happening at cu we have other championship habits to watch chad we do here in town we 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 do and uh you know i'm not sure if there's a direct tie between what you're talking about with Nathan McKinnon and, and CU, uh, I suppose it's a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more ethereal there. But for for Nathan McKinnon to have a routine, that's what the great ones did. You know, Michael Jordan did not give interviews uh, with a wad of chew in his mouth wearing a towel. He got he went into the training room. He got ice on his knees. He iced his legs down. He took a shower. He got dressed. Then he presented himself to the to the media. Now, I was not Michael Jordan, but I read Michael Jordan's book and I thought, yes, the media will wait for me. So I am going to get into the cold tub for 15 minutes as soon as the game is over to try to reduce inflammation. I'm going to go in the training room and get all my little boo-boos and scratches taken care of before I get in the shower. And then I'll get dressed and I'll have my opportunity to speak. So, yes, for my wife and my kids waiting for me, I was the last guy out of the locker room. For the media, I was the last guy to get the opportunity to speak. But if you wanted to talk to me, then I was going to be there. I just had to do my routine. This was my routine that allowed me to be successful. So the routine of it all, the championship routine, it does matter. It does pay dividends, and it allows you to be healthier, to have longevity, to play better, to play longer, all those kinds of things. So uh, whether we're talking about the Joker, we're talking about Nathan McKinnon, I'm not surprised that these guys have that kind of success they're having if they have established those types of routines. And yet there's a gu- bunch of guys who take fucking forever and don't amount to shit, right? <laughs> so, let's keep that in mind. I mean, you remember the guy for the Broncos uh, during training camp, the guy who was first out there every day. Right. Everyone's forgot his name by now, right? Right. Russell right. Wilson, first guy in the building, last to leave, you know? So be careful thinking that's what it means 
to be a professional athlete. I think everybody works at to a different pace and you have to find what works for you. Um, when I played for the Broncos, granted, we didn't win a Super Bowl, but we were always good. And there was never an imperative placed on like, you know, and I know Chad, when he was in New England, it was about who's staying the longest, who's doing the most. And they had a lot of success there. But we were successful as well. And Mike Shanahan actually was better than Bill Belichick when we played against the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And we were able to beat him in a different way. And it wasn't about who was there the longest every day. But when you were there, you were dialed in and you were doing it the right way. You were handling your business on and off the field. And you have to listen to your own body. Some guys, if they try to keep pace, like, you know, if, if everybody on the Avalanche try to keep that pace with Nathan McKinnon, it might not go well for them. You know what I right, mean? So, right. so I think it's important to know your body, know what works for you, and find that right chemistry. And for a guy like Nathan McKinnon, who is the best in the world right now, um, that works for him. That absolutely works for him. And the fact that he is so good means the t- team will wait for him. Yeah, whereas, you know, a practice squad player, <laughs> if you're doing that, they're like, all right, man, let's go. We got to go. Okay, you can't do this every game. Boy. Come on. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I think you're right about all of it. And one of the best of all time was Champ Bailey, who you obviously played with, Nate. And Champ was famously last guy on the field. Last in first, the building, first to leave, man. First to leave, didn't lift weights, sat. any, And I, it's, Champ told me, any chance I have to sit or take a knee, I'm resting. Why would I kill myself? And Champ's concept was I get all my work in while I'm on the field. So my guess is, Nate, and you would know firsthand, that that was probably true when Champ was go, he was probably full go, or what he needed to do when he was out there. But he was infamously um, last on the field, first to leave. All the yeah. people don't know that, uh, uh, Nate. And even out on the field as well, like, you know, when the, as a corner doesn't really have to, like, run in and out of the huddle and do motions and stuff like that. So here I am running back to the huddle, running out there, doing a motion, running across, getting, and he's just standing there the whole time, just kind of waiting for me, waiting, watching me get tired, and then just kind of just standing there. And he's, you know, he was just so smart about what he was seeing that he knew where he had to move and didn't have to move. And so he conserved his energy for the moment he actually had to cover someone or had to explode, you know, had to run down the field or attack a, a running back, whatever it was, but he didn't waste any energy. There was no wasted movement, whereas offensive players are wasting so much time trying to get the defense to show what they're doing and whatnot. I mean, Deion Sanders, was he yeah. like the first in the building, last to leave no. guy? Absolutely no. not. No. I mean, uh, famously, he was eating like M and M's and a Coke on the sideline of a of a Forty Niners game back in the day. Like mm-hmm. he was just a natural, right? And so there's different types of players that um, excel in different types of ways with different routines. Um, and I think some of the the Dion stuff is like he's coaching the team to try to create a bunch of Dion Sanders out there. And I don't yeah, know. If yeah. You know, because, yes, because he was yeah. just the best, right? He was right. the best in the world and it came easily. Right. And so his mentality, you cannot transfer that mentality on a, on a bunch, onto a bunch of kids who don't have that natural ability. That is and so think, well said because Shiloh said, well, dad, you blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, because he's D- your dad is Deion Sanders. You're Shiloh Sanders. I mean, there's a difference, Chad, right? I mean, there's that's a massive well. difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, let's take this back to the Harbaugh conversation. Harbaugh did not come into the league as the most skilled quarterback. He grinded and right. worked his way up into the position that he was in with the Colts and the Chargers and all the places that he played. So it's no surprise that he coaches that same way by working and grinding and, you know, all that mental approach to things. The Champ Baileys, the Deion Sanders, 
they're the rarest of the rare. To be an NFL right. player is obviously incredibly rare, but to be that talented where you don't have to grind at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I played with Rod Woodson, who was a complete natural, but Rod Woodson grinded at it. Um, you know, Kevin Green was a walk on at Auburn before he was a Hall of Famer in the NFL. He grinded at it. So these guys who I was introduced to NFL football, despite being great players, they acted as if they were not, and they grinded at it and worked at it incredibly hard. Um, to see Rod Woodson and Carnell Lake, literally to see who get on the treadmill and have a contest who could make the other guy throw up, I don't <laughs> think Deion Sanders was ever doing that. Champ Bailey was never doing that. Right. And the ridiculous stuff that we did in New England, if you weren't walking around with three water bottles in your hands, then you weren't <laughs> hydrating enough. I got four water bottles. I'm going to be more hydrated than you. I'm going to be more prepared than you. I got here at 5 o'clock. Well, I got here at 4.45. So I, I, I'm a better grinder than you are. It obviously paid dividends for that organization, but it was a difficult football environment. It certainly wasn't for everybody. Mm. And people outside of Tom Brady, it broke them. A lot of guys came to New England from other teams and it broke them rather than make, pulled the best out of them. So there's lots of ways to win championships. There's lots of ways to skin a cat. But I would have to say for maximum best chance of success, grinding and going the more Nathan McKinnon fashion rather than the champ Bailey fashion is going to find more success for majority of people. All right. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Then can elite special athletes who just like Dion, can they really be good coaches? Because how in the world can they relate to just the normal athlete? You know, it's still high level. We're talking high level D one or pro, but when you're the elite of the elite, can they really coach? Because how in the world, Nate, could you be Dion? Seriously. So can you really coach people that can't be you? It's a tough one, man, because I don't know if there's an example of it happening ever. I, there is an example of happening in soccer, in, in European soccer. Some of the some of the really, really awesome soccer players end up being really good coaches. And I don't know, you know, I don't I don't know if there's a separation between like the, the the awesome players who were more cerebral grinders and studied a lot, and that's what made them awesome, was their intellect around the game, or the guys who were just naturally better athletes than you, which is what Deion Sanders was, naturally mm. a better athlete than everybody out there. So he could play two sports at the same time. He didn't have to know what was going on in meetings to go out there and play well, right? He could go out there and just dial it in, make plays. And, and, and so do those guys – have the ability to communicate with a large group of players who have a wide variety of skill sets and motivations and backgrounds and, and, and abilities and get them moving in the same direction. I think that that's, that's an interesting question because at least in the sport of football, it hasn't happened, right? Or mm -hmm. has it? I mean, who's the best former player head coach in the history of football? I'd say Mike Ditka. I mean, if we're going, I mean, he's a hall of fame player. He was a hall of fame type of coach. He won a Super Bowl as a coach. He was a Super Bowl level tight end as a as a player. Yeah. How about that? Anybody better than Mike Ditka? Off the top of my head, I don't have another one. Now, <clears throat> one of my high school teammates, he longtime coaching NFL. Um, and he has coached with two Hall of Fame players. And he'd be like, Chad, I can't coach with those dudes. Right. It's right. it is ridiculous. If I hear this guy tell his players one more time, just go make a play. <laughs> what the hell, man? You could go out and make a play. You were right. good enough just to decide you were going to make a play, and you just went out and made the play. These dudes, you got to tell them how 
to make yeah, a play. And yeah. apparently you don't have that ability because every week on the sideline, you tell your guys, just go make a play. And he's like, I can't hear that shit anymore. It drives me crazy. These guys keep saying this. So at least from a anecdotal experience based on my high school teammate, uh, yeah, the Hall of Fame player just thinks guys can go out there and do what they used to do. And they don't. You have to tell them. You have to teach them. You have to explain it to them. You have to tee it up and set it up for them. And a lot of Hall of Fame players don't have the ability to understand that process through a different set of athletic skills and eyes. But it does seem like the, the, there's a, a sweet spot with the coaches who did play the game and did have to grind out a career and did have yes. to study really yes. hard and work yes. really hard to stay there, who end up learning the game in a way and, and relating to the masses in there because you can relate to everybody who comes in there, the guy who's just trying to make it, you know, the, the guy who is, is going to be on the practice squad, your starter, your quarterback, everybody, because you know what it took for you to stick around. And, and, right. and so I think that, you know, Dan Campbell is a great example of that, yep. you know. Antonio Pierce was a very good linebacker as well. Um, probably a better player in the NFL than Dan Campbell, but b- both of those guys had, you know, weren't the superstars of their team, but were beloved in the locker room, probably knew everybody and how to communicate with all the guys, knew how hard you had to work to stick around, understood how precious it was, valued their job when they were there, and now can communicate to these younger generation of players. Well, great conversation as always, guys. I enjoy it so much. Nate, I, I got to follow up with your deposition. I mean, I'm curious how it went. Three hours talking to lawyers. You good? <laughs> it was a lot, man. I mean, we went went over every single fucking injury I ever had. Like, from like, she's like, so you were on the monkey bars. How, what rung was it when you grabbed it? And, and, and. Are you sure that I'm like, yeah, they took me to the nurse and gave me an ice pack. Are you sure it was an ice pack and not, is that when you started taking anti-inflammatories? How can wow. you equate that to, you know, that kind of thing? Wow. They just, she just wanted to make sure that, um, that, that, that they weren't on the hook for any of it, but we'll see, man. I mean, we went, she had all my records and so she knew all the things that she was going to ask me. And we went over every, every fucking injury I've ever had I mean, back in the high school, college. And I didn't really have any in high school and I had one in college. Um, but after that, it was all pro stuff. And this was the 49ers lawyer. So um, I was only there for a short time, you know, and I was ended up being in Denver. Um, anyway, there's a lot, a lot of a lot of uh, moving parts to this, but it was a lot. It was a lot. And I'm happy that it was done. I was I was shocked once I sat down and wrote down all my injuries in preparation yeah. for my deposition. And I was <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. How many body parts was I willing to sacrifice for this stupid game? Um, the, the list of injuries and broken bones and surgeries and screws and plates and all that stuff in my body, uh, it, it literally shocked me because I think as a player, I compartmentalized all of that. And then once you know I was going after the same thing Nate was going after in the line of duty pay and workman's comp and things like that, to sit down and document all that, it was a shocking four-page list of injuries where four pages of notebook paper were filled up um, so yeah, it's a daunting process. I, I don't envy you having to go through that yesterday. I certainly went through it myself and it's no fun at all. All right. I've done this many times over the years. So I'll start with Nate and then go to Chad knowing everything, you know, now, would you still play football? Of course, of course, of course. Chad, you know why, you know why, why? Because if I hadn't, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, would you still play? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> 100 100 times out of 100, I would do it all over again. 
Would you have your kid play football? Well, Chad, you've already been through this, so I guess the answer was yes, because your kid did play football. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate, would you have your son play football? Yeah, but, you know, I probably wouldn't put him in at, at 7 or 8 or 9 10, or 10 years old. I didn't play till I was in high school. Now, that did put me behind a little bit. You know, I, I was all of a sudden, like I said um, earlier or in a different show, you know, I yeah. was prepubescent freshman year high school put it on the pads for the first time and going out there against sophomores with mustaches who've been freaking hitting since they were six so it took me a while to technically catch up but you know eventually the cream does rise and maybe that saves your brain the question will be the the conversation with my wife who you know Mm. um um, knows how nutty i am and doesn't want my son to be the way i am so she's uh, (laughs) well best of luck with that nate there's always later today and we bid you a fun farewell awesome conversation as always kill you with truth